the idea that I was out in the marketplace, the the the, the African American readers were just over the moon. Some of the stories they told me of of going in the in the uh, bookstore and seeing Night Song, and you know the first thing they did was run to the you know flip to the back to make sure it was written by a black woman, and and one woman said she sat in the bookstore right there on the floor and started reading. That was the voice of Beverly Jenkins. We are thrilled to have Beverly with us. We've been working on getting her to join us on Faded Mates since season one. And pandemics and busyness got in the way, but we're finally here. And it feels right that the first time we talked to Beverly, we're talking to her as part of the Trailblazers series. You will hear her talk about her life, her time beginning writing, her work, her research, publication, her editors, and her readers. And we think you'll love it. Welcome to Faded Mates. We are so thrilled to have Beverly Jenkins with us today. Welcome, Beverly. Thank you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. This is, you know, we've been trying to hook up for a while, so... Thanks so much for the invite. We really have. And we, I mean, obviously, for many, many reasons, Jen and I have been wanting you to come on Faded Mates to talk about all sorts of things. But I don't know if you remember this, but you and I were together outside of the National Book Festival, what feels like a thousand years ago, <laughs> um, <laughs> when we could be with each other. And you started telling me stories about the beginning of, you know, your career and the early days. And it was one of the most, like, magnificent afternoons of my life. And so (laughs) I am basically just here to make you tell those stories on tape. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got a million of them, so you'll have to let me know which ones you want to hear. I love it. No, I want to hear them all. Yeah. So we are the the conceit of the whole this whole the work that we're doing right now with um, our trailblazer guests is to really get the voices of the genre and the voices of the people who built the house um, on on tape and to also say the names of the people who maybe we have not heard of the 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 not Beverly Jenkins is. So that's why we're doing this. That's why we think it's important. And that's why we are so grateful to have you with us. Uh, I'm proud to proud to represent. So um, hit me up with your first question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of the things we're always really, and this is true for all romance writers, readers, everybody, which is how did you come to romance? How did you become a reader and a writer of romance? You know, I, I tell the story about I, I grew up reading everything. You know, I... I was one of those kids that read everything in the neighborhood library, um, from the kitty books to the teen books to the adult books. This would be late 50s, early 60s. I think I got my first library card when I was like eight. So that would have been like 1959, right? But there was nothing in the books that represented me. And you know, the, the classics, of course, that my mom would make us read or insist we read, you know, Langston Hughes and uh, Barn Temps and you know, those folks. But for popular literature, uh, there was nothing. But it didn't stop me from reading. You know, I love a good story. So in my journey through Mark Twain Library, that was the name of the library, east side of Detroit, Gratiot and Burns, it's no longer there. And I'll tell you a terrible story about that eventually. But they had, when I got to the teen books, and I read Beanie Malone. I don't know if you're familiar with, with the Beanie Malone books. Mm-mm. Uh, YA, family, small town. Beanie was the the youngest kid, so you had her adventures. Um, you had 17th Summer, which I think everybody my age read. And then I moved to Mary Stewart, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Just Rough Magic, um, all those great books. So then that brought in Victoria Holt and Phyllis Whitney and Jane Eichen Hodge <laughs> and... Victoria Holt is one of those names that comes up every time you talk to a, a group yeah. of romance novelists who started, you know, young. Yeah, she was she was there. So I read her, Charlotte Armstrong. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Name. She's got a yeah. great book. What is the name of that book? Uh, the Gift Shop, I think. Awesome. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a sweet romance. 
But um, it's a young woman who was on a quest with this guy. To, somebody left some kind of a, if I can remember correctly, uh, <laughs> some kind of a secret something inside of a gift shop. Oh, and they that. were, it was inside of a little like glass pig. <laughs> so she and this guy are traveling all over. I don't know if it was the world. I think it was the country trying to run down these pigs um, <laughs> to get whatever it was that was inside. And it's just a great story and probably holds up pretty well. I haven't read it in I've got a thousand years, even if it's still in print. I'm going to report in. I'm going to find this book. I know, me too. In. I know, I'm so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte Armstrong, The Gift Shop. Great. You know, and then you had stuff like uh, Cash McCall that they made the movie with, with Nellie Woods mm-hmm. and uh, James Garner, I think. So I'd always loved a good love story. You know, you had the, the Doris Day and the, you know, James Garner and, you know, and all of that. And, you know, my sisters and I, I've got five sisters, four sisters. Three of us are stair steps. So, you know, we, we, we loved, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so reading and pop, pop culture. But like I said, there was nothing that reflected us. But, you know, and then you got that Toni Morrison quote. You know, if, if, if it's not out there and you want to read it, then you need to write it. But I was just writing it for me. I wasn't writing it for publication because the market was closed. So that's sort of how I got started, I guess, a long-winded answer to your question. So when you say you weren't writing it for the market, the, so to walk us through kind of putting pen to paper and then. Okay. I mean, now you're in the market, right? So how did <laughs> right, that Now I'm in the market. Now I'm in the marketplace. <laughs> there were, you know, other than, and I did not read those because I didn't even know they existed. Elsie Washington mm-hmm. um, right. and Vivian, who really started this industry for us, the American side of it. Mm-hmm. Have you heard her um, interview with the Black Romance podcast? Oh my god, it's fantastic! Yeah. We'll put we'll put links to it in show notes. Everybody, just is. amazing. So Elsie and uh, Sandra, you know, I, I had no idea they were out there, but I was writing for me, and this was like. God, BC before children. <laughs> it was just, you know, me and me and hubby, right? Yes. You know, we were like, no, we're not having no kids. We are having too much fucking fun. <laughs> um, were you writing historical? Were you writing contemporary? What? I was writing night song. Okay. 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 I was writing night song. I didn't know I was writing night song at the time, though. You know, I had no title or anything. But it was just a story for me. Yeah. And I would come home from, because I was working at the Michigan State University Graduate Library, and I'd come home. He had played tennis in high school. So he would come home because he was a printer back then. So he'd come home, clean up from all that ink. Um, you know, he had ink in his fro and, and all of that. <laughs> ink in his nose. He had ink coming out of the backs of his hands for years. Because there was no OSHA back then, you know. Right. Yeah. So he'd come home, clean up, grab his tennis racket and go play tennis. And I would read because, you know, you work at a graduate library. You know, and the little old ladies in cataloging loved me. So I could go through, you know, the, the back halls of the library and grab stuff off people's carts. You know, mainly, you know, science fiction, which is what I mainly read back then. Take them home. So if I wasn't reading and I was working on this little story just for me, Buffalo Soldier and a school teacher. I had no idea it was going to be published or would get published. Because I already had my dream job. I was working in the library. That's all I ever wanted out of life, you know. And then I met Laverne. I was working in Park Davis. Who's Laverne? Laverne. Laverne. <laughs> Laverne is the reason we're here today. Her and my mama. <laughs> she writes under Laverne St. George. She's a sweet romance writer. And this was probably, oh, let's see. If I was working at Park Davis, this was probably somewhere between 85 and 90. And Laverne had just gotten her first book published. We were working at the Park Davis Pharmaceutical Library, which was a whole different story. That's a whole different conversation. (laughs) Park Davis was probably one of the, maybe one of the first big pharma companies. It started in Detroit and they moved from Detroit to Ann Arbor, which is where I was working. So she had just gotten the sweet romance published by a small publisher here in Michigan. So we're celebrating her. And um, I was talking about this little manuscript I was working on. And she wanted to see it. And I knew, you know, she was a member of RWA back then. I'm like, you know, I didn't know anything about any of that. <laughs> I'm just writing this story, right? 
So I bring it in, and she said, you really need to get this published. Did you handwrite this manuscript? Is it typed? Like, yeah. What, what does this look like? Oh, it, okay. It was, I had, <laughs> I had this little, what we used to call a close and play typewriter. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, you could carry it. Oh, yeah. Yes. They okay. were very lightweight, right? <laughs> very lightweight. You opened it. You opened it like you open a laptop. Giant. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's a little. Um, and I had one of those. So it was very bad because I couldn't type back then at all. Very badly typed. Um, in fact, my husband's secretary wound up tidy, typing it once I got it um, ready for publication. But most of it, though, at the beginning was handwritten. I mean, nobody, this is one of those like minor little things, but like nobody realizes how much work it was yes. to write a book oh, at this point. Like my if I had to do this, there would be no, I would, we would not know each other. <laughs> oh, girl. Right. That's why I was so curious. It had to be. It was so, you know, once we got published, right, there was no, you know, we were using word processors because this was before computers. Yeah. And it was all cut and paste mm-hmm. for revisions. And I mean, actually cut and paste. <laughs> I mean, you would have to, okay, when you did revisions, you had to cut pieces out, tape them in, and then tape them to the pages. So you may have some, and then you have to fold it up. So you may have something that unscrolls from me to you in Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. You know, fold it up. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you, you know, you got tons of uh, whiteout. Oh, yeah. Oh, remember whiteout? Put it in a mailer. Oh, God, whiteout, yeah. Our young Let's listeners are like, what's whiteout? I know. Uh, I <laughs> guess they're tape. using whiteout now for something else. But, yeah, it's a little thing that you could <laughs> paint over your I mean, bad mistakes. And you could type over it once it dried. You had to wait yeah, for it yeah. to dry, though. Yes. Oh, and if you didn't, then it gummed up the typewriter. <laughs> Yeah, it would get, it would, it would, your keys would get all gunky. <laughs> we'll put it so, in show notes. Learn about whiteout in show notes. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Lord have mercy. You know, and then you'd have to call FedEx to come get it. Yeah, there was no, like, I mean, me sliding Drop in, off, right. like, two minutes before midnight on the day. No, like, no, you no, can't. <laughs> no. You had to send it. Well, you know, you had to have an account because uh, they'd come pick it up from your house. Yeah. Um, it was a mess. Sorry. I, I know that's a digression, but I was No, curious, but Jen, right? it's so No, important. it's a great good question. Like, it's a great question. it sort of, it speaks to this kind of mentality at the, the time, but also the commitment. Like, yes. you have to be a commit, you have to be commit to being a writer at this point. Because um, <laughs> that was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You know, the, the folks that are using... You know, Scrivener and even <laughs> even Microsoft Word. You have no idea what a joy <laughs> living we the highlights. <laughs> oh God! So yeah, we had all that to do. So anyway, so Laverne had published her first book, right? And she you published her had first book. Night Song. Then I had Night Song, and she. I I tell folks, you know, she harassed me every day. She and I laugh because we're still good friends. She she laughs about me telling people that she harassed me every day at work. But I think she did. At least that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I found Vivian. I cannot tell you how I found Vivian. I, I think maybe by then I was reading Romantic Times, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, she showed up in there or something. Oh, anyway. So, wait, this is a good point. There, there used to be a romance magazine, right. and it was called Romantic Times, and you could subscribe to it. If you were a romance fan, you subscribed to it, and there were reviews in it and interviews with your favorite authors. And if you were a romance author, it was like Time Magazine for, for romance <laughs> authors. Like, if you yeah. if you ended up on the cover of Romantic Times, stop right, it. You exactly. were on your way. Yeah, you were on your way. They were some of my biggest supporters at the beginning. I will it's always mine be too. grateful to Catherine Falk. But I don't know how I found Vivian. So I sent her my little raggedy manuscript at just to get Laverne off my ass. Harlequin at this point? No, she's no, oh, she was right. she was gone. She was freelance. She was gone. They let her go right. by then. Okay. Yeah, she was on her own. So we're in the late the late eighties. We're late eighties, yeah. Okay. We're almost at ninety. We're, we might be even at ninety because they bought the book in ninety three. Sent her my little raggedy manuscript. Because it was bad. Oh my god. I it don't believe it. Girl, let me tell you stories. It was bad. Anyway, um, so she called me at work. 
because I was working at the reference desk. On the phone. On the phone. (laughs) And said, you know, she wanted to represent me. So me not knowing anything, you know, about this whole process, I was like, sure, okay. Sold. You know, so, right. Seems nice. You know, we, I don't think Seems we like ever a nice signed. lady calling you. So work. was she running an, she was running an agency at this point. Right. A small agency out of her house. And she had me and she had uh, Pat Vaughn, Patricia Vaughn. Yep. Who just sort of disappeared. I don't know whatever happened to her. Mm. Murmur of Rain which came out right after um, Night Song did. And I don't think Vivian and I even signed a contract. This was just a... Sure, handshake yeah, deal. Yeah, just a verbal kind of thing. So um took us a while to sell it. I got enough rejections to paper all of our houses because they didn't know what to do with it. Well, and my question is, is like, how clear was it to you that we don't know what to do with it means like we just aren't going to carry Black Romance? No, it, they, there was no box for it. Yeah. You know, and even with romance and, you know, and like, and I didn't care. I mean, probably if I had been set on getting published, all of those rejections would have probably broken my heart. Of course. But I had a dream job. I was getting up every morning going to the library. I could care less (laughs) about a, 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 a rejection letter. But the interesting thing was they all said the same thing, basically. Great writing, but. Great writing, but what do we do mm-hmm. with it? Yeah, and yeah, because nineteenth century America, uh, American history, even you know nineteen ninety. If it's a nineteenth century story involving black people, it should have been about slavery, right? So here I come with we know how to sell it if it's roots, right? Yeah, if it's roots, barely <laughs> we know how to sell it if it's roots, and you have to remember that there were only. Maybe three black romances out there. I mean, Vivian had the connections to send it to everybody. So let's talk about who that is. Who who were the other names who were writing black romance? And they certainly they weren't writing historical. You were the no no. Now Anita Richmond Bunkley had written Black Gold, which was not really a romance, more like women's fiction, but it was historical mm-hmm. uh, about a woman in an oil field family in Texas. And she had also written Emily, Emily the Rose. It's about a free black woman in Texas in the 1820s and 1830s and her journey. And it wasn't a romance either. I mean, there was rape. and Emily the Yellow Rose. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We don't talk too much. We don't talk very much about Anita very much. In fact, I've neglected to talk about her for years. I, you know, and I was going through some stuff last night just so I could be prepared for this mm-hmm. and com- came across a bunch of stuff that was like, Oh, man, I forgot about this. I forgot about that. I forgot about this. No. But anyway, nobody was writing historical romance. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for a book of slavery. That's the box. So here I come with a, a story with a, a Buffalo soldier and an Oberlin educated school teacher mm-hmm. in a free black town on the plains of Kansas. Mm-hmm. 1879, and they're like, what the hell is this? (laughs) What are we supposed to do with this? We don't know what to do. So I do remember one editor at, I don't know what house she was at, but she sent me a very, very encouraging letter. And she said she really, really wanted, and she was just, I think she's like an executive editor now. And and she was just a baby, baby assistant back then. And she said she really, really, really wanted to publish this. She said, but she could not convince the higher ups to take it, you know. And like I said, I didn't care. You know, I was <laughs> going working to the, the library. library in the morning. <laughs> you know, hey, hello. Then came, I guess, the news, and I didn't know anything about this, that Walter Zacharias was going to be putting out the Arabesque line. Oh, sure. And it was my understanding that. Avon didn't want to get left behind because, you know, they were the number one publisher of romance back then. And they couldn't find anybody. So Alan Edwards, who used to be Vivian's assistant back when Vivian was working in that closet, you know, <laughs> with, with, the, with the candlelights, called her and said, you know, do you have anybody? Do you know anybody? And she said, well, I just happen to know this little lady in Michigan. <laughs> and so. She called me 
1993. June 3rd, 1993. I've told a story about my husband and I having this hell of a fight that day. Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know what we were fighting about. Something stupid, probably. And the phone rang. And it was Ellen. And she said she wanted to buy my book. So, of course, I stopped the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Some things are important. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. I don't know. He was like, I guess I got to take you the last to dinner. Yes, you got to take my last to dinner. <laughs> so they kept sending me contracts. This was 1993. Yeah. This is 1993, and the book came out in 94. Summer of Black Love is what we called it, because that was also the, the summer that Arabesque uh, released their first four or five. So on, you know, on the road from there. So once you sold Night Song, did you immediately start working? I mean, at that point, how did you start to balance the idea of, I have my dream job, but now I also have a writing job? Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it was all, you it feels know. feels very real. It feels very real. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I had no idea what the hell I was doing because <laughs> um, I had I had the writing, I had the job, I had the kids, I had the hats that I was wearing in the community, the hats I was wearing at church, I had a brownie troop, <laughs> you know, and because I was a stay-at-home mom, you know, after we, we adopted Jonathan, my son, early on, too, in the career, so as a stay-at-home mom... So then I'm doing field trips and I'm, you know, doing snow cones on Friday at school, <laughs> you know, and all of this stuff. The kids are in the band and, you know, and luckily, all praises to my late hubby because that first deadline, <laughs> Ellen sent me 14 page revision letter. On Night Song. Oh. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was bad. She was like, Bev, no. We love the love scenes. <laughs> we need a story. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, you need a story, really? I just want to say something about Ellen Edwards because we have sort of danced around her in the past on Faded Mates, but you are the first of her authors who we've had on. And she was editing, this This is, she was editing the heyday of like the 90s authors. She was amazing. At Harper, she edited for our listeners. She edited Lisa Kleypas's Dreaming of You. She edited. She was amazing. Um, Loretta, Loretta Chase's Lord of Scoundrels. She edited wow. you. I mean, that's amazing. This woman was, she was on the, she was, she was building romance too. Right. And yeah. really like setting yeah, a lot yeah. of things in play. So what, what, so talk about that a little bit. Like what, what was the feeling like right around then? You know, it was, it was interesting because. You know, she taught me how to write commercial fiction. You know, I will always be grateful for her because of, of and we had some, we had some, some bumps. I bet. We had some bumps. And she's the reason I'm here. She taught me the differences in um, writing a romp as opposed to, you know, a, a period piece to, um, she was absolutely amazing. and. When she left, her assistant, Christine Zikas, was amazing. Because Christine edited Vivid, and she edited Indigo. Okay. So we'll always be grateful to her for those two. So I guess I was doing okay. They kept offering me contracts. You were doing great. (laughs) You know, it wasn't a whole lot of money. It wasn't making a lot of money. But the idea that I was out in the marketplace... The, 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 the African-American readers were just over the moon. Some of the stories they told me of, of going in the, in the uh, bookstore and seeing Night Song. And, you know, the first thing they did was run to the, you know, flip to the back to make sure it was written by a black woman. <laughs> and, and one woman said she sat in the bookstore right there on the floor and started reading. That's amazing. You know. Well, these also, the cover, did, it, it had that original cover, that. It's right, like a, right. a burnt orange cover with a clinch mm-hmm. on it. Right, yeah. Oh, it's so good. I mean, it's yeah. such a beautiful cover. Um, Tom Tom Egner gave me just, you know, I'm always grateful to him. He gave me some just fabulous, fabulous covers. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I would win, you know, cover of the year and, and all mm-hmm. of that. And I always sent the awards to him. Oh, that's nice. What a decent 
person. And he said, nobody's ever done this before. I said, well, I didn't do the cover. You did. <laughs> so put it on your, on your whatever, you know. For those of you listening, Tom Egner was the head of the art department at Avon. He mm-hmm. basically designed all those clinch covers. I know. He was amazing. I miss him a lot. But then Avon's always got great art, you know, so, but I do miss him. So, yeah, so then, you know, we got the 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 People magazine spread right after Night Song. I think it was in February of, book came out in 94, the spread, five pages. Wow. In People magazine in February of 95. And. And what was that, about woman, you? It's about the book and me and, you know, pictures of my husband and. <gasps> Pictures of my kitchen and all of that. <laughs> and the lady who did the article's name was Nancy Drew. That was her Amazing. real name. And I got, you know, calls from people all over the country. I opened my people magazine and there you were. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> it is me. It is I. You know, I have arrived. Um, but very, very heady days in the beginning. Yeah. When did you know that romance was a huge thing and that you were making waves? I guess that's two questions. So Yeah, it is. You know, and I have girlfriends who tell me that I really don't know how influential I have been. You know, I'm just writing. You know, I'm just trying to tell the stories that I would have loved to have read as a teen or a mm-hmm. you know, a young woman in my twenties or or even my thirties, but I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm still amazed that there are that people are buying my books. <laughs> you know, my mom used to tell me she said, "Well, that's a good, that's a good thing," you know, so that you're not, you know, jaded or whatever and entitled and and all of that. I'm still amazed. Did you feel at the time like something was happening in the world, though? Did it feel like, or or was it just sort of, you know, life? It was just sort of life. I mean, yeah, you know, we were changing in the sense that you had more black women writing. Mm-hmm. You know, Brenda and Donna Hill and Shirley Hillstock. And- now, did that feel like it was because of, like, arabesque? Did it, was it just sort of an explosion? or I think it was, I think it was arabesque. Okay. I, because, you know, they were doing contemporaries, and these black women were eating those books up. Mm-hmm. Sure. And plus they had a great... Editor in Monica. Monica Harris. Monica Harris, yes. Um, and she was just an amazing editor for those women. Uh, Rosie's Curl and Weave, she had those anthologies. And they all absolutely loved her. Just loved her. So it was, it was sort of like an explosion. But in the, in the histor- on the historical side, it was just you still right? just you there's no one else it was just me and and then the 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 two books by Patricia Vaughn uh, right Murmur Rain and I don't remember what the second title was uh Gail Gunn had done Nowhere to Run or was it Nowhere to Hide Nowhere to Run as a you know Martha Nevandellas <laughs> so at this point who is your you know whenever we talk to people who who came up through, you know, the 90s in romance, there is such a discussion mm-hmm. of community, like who you turn right. to as your your group, your people. Um, right. yeah. who, who was that for you at this point? The readers. Talk a little about your readers. It was the readers. I mean, all this, all this fan mail I was getting. And then we had two young women here who wanted to start the Beverly Jenkins fan club. Amazing. Um, Gloria. Walker and, and Ava Williams. And so they were, you know, it was all snail mail back then. So they were sure. sending out, you know, applications and they were sending <laughs> out membership cards and, you know, newsletters and all of that. And I was doing a lot of local touring, a lot of local schools and stuff. And so when I told them that I wanted to have a pajama party, <laughs> you know, they sort of looked at me like, really? <laughs> what was the first year that you did that? Do you remember? Ah, shoot. Maybe 99, maybe 97. So a long time that you've been Uh, doing that. It's been a while, yeah. 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 But Brenda and I would switch off years. I would do the pajama party one year, and then she'd do her cruise the next year. But we sent out letters because, like I said, there was no computers back then, at least that I was using. Right. And 75 women showed up. 
from all over the country. Amazing. It is amazing. And we had a hell of a time. <laughs> and we talked to books, and my husband came because, you know, these were his women. He called them. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they loved him, and he loved them. Um, and these women, you know, and Saturday night when it was time to go home, everybody cried. We had formed this, you know, this, this sisterhood, a sistership as we call it, and nobody wanted to go home. So we started doing it every two years. But they were my, they were my bottom women. Um, you know, in, in the pimp world, your, your bottom woman is your is your original hoe, right? <laughs> and she's the one that keeps everything together and all of that. When he starts bringing in new women, so they were my foundation. Uh, and a lot of them, most of them, are still with me today. So in the meantime, you know, online is growing. Yes. And people are telling me, you need to be online. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't need to be You're online. Like, I have my pajama party, ladies. I have my yeah. pajama party. I don't need a TikTok. I don't know. Don't need a TikTok. Don't need a gram. Um, this was even before social media. This would have been more like a web page or a, yeah, right? And, yeah. And it was a, we started with a. Blog. No, we started with a Yahoo group. Oh, sure. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. So little did I know that there were other black women reading groups online. And one of them was, and I cannot remember what the real name was, but they called themselves the hotties <laughs> because they read hot stuff. And this was a group that was connected to Gwen Osborne. And Gwen is sort of like the griot of of black romance. She was one of the early reviewers for the Romance Reader. She knows where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> <laughs> we sort of combined her group and my group. And that's when we started doing the traveling. Going to all these different places and all that for African American history kinds of stuff. And books. So it, you know, so I'm trying to build my own little empire because I'm not getting a whole lot of support from um, my publisher. I mean, I guess they were just one of the one of the young editors said, "Well, they just like the cachet of having you." And so I'm like, "Okay, well, I can handle that. I'm still gonna go out and do my thing and all of that." But then, after my husband passed away in '03, I met Adrian Di Pietro, and she was the marketing director for Avon. And we were at one of those Avon dinners in Dallas. <laughs> Those famous dinners. Mm-hmm. She and I were outside smoking. <laughs> I didn't know who she was. She didn't know who I was. So we hit it off really well, and we got to talking. And you know, and, and when we got home, about a week later, I got a call from her. And she said, you know what? I have looked at your file. She said, and we have not done a damn thing for you. She said, that's getting ready to change. Wow. And it did. Because I got a lot of support in the beginning, you know, the first couple of years. Right. People Magazine. Right. Five pages. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? <laughs> and then nothing. You know, and I, and I think, too, I tell people, I said, you know, when, when my husband passed away, you know, it's like God says, all right, I've taken something very, very precious from you. So how about try this as a replacement? And, and my career took off. So I don't know if it was the spirit or... I don't know, whatever. Everything in its own time and place is, is, is also how I deal with it. So Adrian just started pushing, doing a lot more for me. I mean, she sent me a box of bookmarks that had to have 20,000 bookmarks. And then I'm like, Angela, what am I going to do with these? You know, I still had that, half of that box somewhere oh in, in the house. Oh, my God, bookmarks. Yeah, oh, bookmarks. God, girl. Yeah. Oh, no, Lord, our mercy. But... But she was amazing, and I was very, very sad when, when she was let go. I only knew her. She was let go almost immediately after I started. I started to run. Yeah, that. yeah. She was, she was amazing as a marketing director. At this point, we have, you know, with like the big RWA implosion, there was a lot right. of talk about how Borders, in particular, which is a Michigan, right, didn't buy black romance. So how aware of were you of, like, the impediments at the bookstore level? I didn't have that issue. Okay. 
because I knew the people at Borders did my books for my pajama parties. Mm. Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, one of the ladies who was the, uh, Kelly, who was supervising that, she and I are still friends. She's out on the coast doing something with some book somewhere. But now Barnes & Noble had issues with Okay. I still do. But Walden Books, Borders, you know, and that whole thing with Borders and the, and the, the, the black section of the bookstore started at one of the stores near me. And the store was run by a black woman. And this was at the height of the hip hop stuff, the urban, uh, urban stories. And from what I heard, she said the kids didn't know how to use the bookstore. And they would come in and they would ask for, you know, their favorite titles. And she would have to have her people take them by the hand and show them where the spot was. And she got tired of it. <laughs> so she put them all in one spot. So all she had to do was say, over there, her sales went through the roof. Corporate, doing nothing but looking at the bottom line instead of the purpose behind it, yeah. said, okay, let's put all the black books in one spot. and Everywhere. It worked here. It, yeah. You know, so... So now we've got this, you know, Jim Crow kind of section in library, in, in bookstores. But I had a reader tell me one time, she said, Miss Bev, I found your books in Men's Health. <laughs> <laughs> Good for them. That's where it should be. Read those you books, sir. <laughs> they should really be put together, Romance and Men's Health. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Brenda and I and the early era best women were always shelved. With romance. We were never not shelved with romance. Only in the last, whatever, 20 years or so. You know, and it's such a disadvantage for the young women of color who are coming up to not be in the romance section because, it, you know, it cuts down on, on discoverability. Mm-hmm. Of course. You know, I, I would be nuts if, if that was happening to me right now. But luckily for me, because, you know, people didn't know any better back then, I was in romance. I was in historicals. I was in African-American fiction. I was in men's health. You know, I was, you know, all over the store, which was great. And then my readers were fierce about making sure the books were available. Um, I would get emails and Facebook messages from women who said, well, I went to, you know, five different stores in L.A. and your book's not there. Uh Or... (laughs) I made them go in the back and get the box out <laughs> and put your books out. Amazing. So, you know, they were an amazing. And then my mother, bless her heart, she go in the bookstore and just move books around. That's I'm what like, mothers are for, no? <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Right, you know. She said, I had to run out of, you know, so we, you know, we lost her two years ago. She would carry around a, one of those little bitty spiral notebooks, purse size. And it had all my books. Every page had all my books on it. And she'd go to the mall and she'd just hand it out to people. This is my daughter's books. This is my daughter's books. You know, she was marketing when I had no marketing. She was director of marketing. But uh, um, I remember her saying one time she was in Target. And, you know, I had to tell her, I said, Mom, they were alphabetical. She said, I don't care. Your books are on the bottom. And she said, and I looked up and the camera was on me. She said, and I ran out of the store. <laughs> I don't think they're going to put you in jail <laughs> for rearranging yourself. For moving books around. So there obviously has been a shift from when you started in 1993 to now. Um, in mm-hmm. romance, there have been tons of shifts, like seismic shifts. I feel like romance moves right. so quickly. Yeah. Can you kind of speak to the way that the way you have seen the genre shift over time? You know, both as a writer and, like, as a person who knows a lot about romance. Yeah. First, we had the, you know, the hardware shift from, you know, cut and paste and white out and all that uh, to computers and Scrivener and Google and, you know, because I had to use libraries, of course, when I did my first book. Sure, for research. Yeah, because, yeah, none of the... Master, Mr. Google, Aunt Google, whatever people are calling her today, <laughs> uh, was not available back then. So that's been a seismic shift. The, the, the model is no longer blonde and blue-eyed and a size five. Um, everybody gets to have HEA now, no matter 
who you are, how you identify, who you love, because love is love. And that's been an amazing thing. Books are no longer rapey. Yeah. You know, which was a big issue back in the day. Uh, a lot of women didn't want to read romance. Oh, well, they're rapey. Well, yeah. But it's not really rape. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's changed. We're now all about consent. And consent is sexy. And then, you know, and, but we have fewer houses, too. You know, when I started out there, God, there had to be like 25 different houses. Now we got, what, four, three? Yeah. One, maybe, coming up. <laughs> fewer and fewer, it feels like, every day. <laughs> I know, such an incestuous business, you know. They're eating their young all over the place. What about book selling? What about stores and discoverability? Um, there are fewer stores. You know, um, you don't have, we don't have book signings like we used to. Yeah, where people will be lined up outside for books and for autographs and all that. And what I was going to say is the biggest seismic seismic shift for me has been the rise of indie writers. Mm-hmm. Their refusal to be told no, their bravery and stepping out there on faith and saying my story has value. I don't think romance would have opened up the way it has in the last 10 years without them. Right. Agree. Absolutely. Um, I take my hat off to them because, you know, they were like, fuck this. You don't want my stuff? Fine. And now publishing, you know, realizing how much money they've been leaving on the table. You know, they're still not on board all the way, but now they're saying, oh, well, you were successful over there. So how about you come play with us now? And the ladies are saying, sure, but I'm not giving up my independent and I'm still going to do, you know, I'm still going to do hybrid. Mm-hmm. And they learned the formatting and they learned the marketing and they learned the distribution and how to do the data and looked at the metadata. You know, I'm, I'm just amazed and, you know, I bow to them for, because um, they changed the industry. Mm-hmm. They changed the industry. So those are some of the seismic changes that, that I have seen. Do you think your relationships with fans are different because of social media? I mean, you've always had such a strong fan base that you built. I don't think it's changed. I think it's expanded my okay. my base. Because um, you know how much I love Twitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Same. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's given me access to more readers who are like, oh, She's not a scary black woman. Let me read her books, you know. And, and then they realize, oh, these are some good-ass books. <laughs> so let me buy more. I think my readership has probably expanded a good 35%. Oh, wow. Just from, from social media. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, I know it's a cliche, but, you know, I, I always tell my fans, you know, when I count my blessings, I count them twice. Mm-hmm. Because... They have been, I wouldn't be here without them. Books are expensive. Yeah. And they're taking their hard-earned money and they're buying me or going to the library and, buy, and you know, borrowing mm-hmm. me when they could be, you know, using that money for something else. So I am very, very grateful. And that's one of the things that I always tell um, new writers and aspiring writers is to treat your readers like they're the gold that they are because they are gold. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I never met a, never met a stranger. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the, loving the love that I get from social media. People keep telling me I need to be on Instagram and I'm like, my editor would slap me if I was on another <laughs> social like platform. Like <laughs> Right. So right. now I do want to talk about, I'm bouncing back a little to, to your career, but you moved from, you didn't move, you, you added contemporaries at some point yeah. along the way. Yeah. And sweeter romance. So can you talk about that choice, the choice to sort of expand? Why, you're they amazing. asked you me. You write a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> Erica asked me if I had any contemporaries. That's Erica Sang, everybody, the um, editorial director of Avon Books. Yeah, she is awesome. She's been my editor since she was 12. Um <laughs> Diggy yeah. Hauser, editor, MD. <laughs> yeah. And I always say, you never say no. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you never say no. So basically what I gave her was Age of Midnight. But it was my first manuscript that I sent to Avon in probably the late 80s. Oh, wait now. See, this is this is yeah, a new piece like, of the story. <laughs> yeah, contemporary, my contemporary. It was so bad. Oh, <laughs> God. You know, I told people, I said, that book was so bad that the rejection letter almost beat me home from the post office when I mailed it. <laughs> That's how bad it was. It was awful. But I put it away. Wait, I have a quick, I'm sorry, I have to stop. I have to pause on this. So you did write a contemporary mm-hmm. while you were, was this simultaneous to writing Night Song? Like, were you writing mm-hmm. at the same time? And so, um, and why, so why did you write a contemporary? Was that because that was what romance was? That's because that's what, you know, the stories started coming. That's what it coming. was for you. Yeah, right. Okay. Started, the story started coming. So I put it away. And then when she asked if I had a contemporary, you know, I brought this very, very bad manuscript out again and I looked at it and I realized what it was. The reason it was so bad is number one, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know how to write. And number two, the characters were the descendants right. of Hester and Galen from Indigo. Ah. So that book could not have been published until after Indigo was written. So I went in, I cleaned it up. Now that I know how to write, right? And you're like, sure, you know, you know how to write commercial fiction now. Right, right. You know, it's like 14 books in. I know what I'm doing now, I guess. And I realized, like I said, who, who the characters were. So um, that kicked off the, I think, the five the five romantic suspenses that I have. Mm-hmm. So it's Edge of Midnight, Edge of Dawn, Black Lace, and then uh, the two Blake sisters, um, Deadly Sexy and Sexy Dangerous. And then I did, I don't know how many, six or seven little novellas for Kimani in the middle of all of this. And then I realized, you need to take a step back. <laughs> Because you are wearing yourself out yeah. writing all the Because I was doing like, you know, two big books and a, and, a, and a novella, or and two novellas a year. So I was doing four books a year. And uh, I was no longer a spring chicken. So uh, I had to put those away for a while. But yeah, so the characters in my Avon romantic suspense are descendants of my historical characters. And then the YA was something else that they asked me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were five or six of us that they asked. We did two apiece. Um, so I did Belle and I did Josephine. And I think it was Meg Cabot and mm-hmm. Lorraine Heath. And I'm not sure who the other ladies were. And then when did the Blessing series, was that something you wanted to do or something they suggested? <laughs> Nancy, <laughs> Nancy sold the series without telling me. <gasps> What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) She had been on me for years about writing a small town series. And I'm like, well, because let's be honest, like small town for a long time, it felt like small town was where the money was in romance. Like if you could pull off like the big small town where lots of people, there's just always a a cupcake shop and a veterinarian. I know, I know, I know. But I didn't want to do that. Nancy was like, Beverly, you like money. <laughs> well, I do. I do. But I was content to continue to write these award-winning African-American historicals, right? <laughs> right. So after Mark passed away, I was up north with his mom and uh, got a call from Nancy on my cell phone. She never called me on my cell phone. In fact, I don't even think she had a cell phone back then. And she said, I was like, I thought somebody had died. Yeah. You know, right. You know, I'm like, oh God, you know, is Eric okay? You know, that kind of thing. And she said, well, I sold the series. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What series? Exactly. (laughs) She said, remember that small town series I've been trying to get you to write? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) She said, well, I, uh, I, I love Nancy to death. 
She's just, she's so in charge of me and I really need somebody to be in charge of me. And she is just the best. She said, well, I saw, I, they only want a paragraph. Just one. And here's and the money. 25 books. Right. They only want a paragraph to get it started. And here's the money. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm writing a small town series. <laughs> Well, and it's how many books now? I mean, 12 or? Uh, 10. And a television show 10. in progress. I mean. And if Al Roker would, you know, get together and call us, <laughs> we could maybe <laughs> figure out what we're doing. But I mean, it really, that's an interesting piece, too, Bev, because, you know, you, you started publishing in the early 90s, which felt like a real time in romance. And now you are thriving in this, like, new, really, it feels like we're in another new time in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're in a, di- a we're in a different era now. Uh, you have a, an action, you have a film that is complete and out and everybody can watch now. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, Iris, bless her heart. Um, she did such a great job. Um, and she made that movie with, you know, safety pins and rubber bands. And, <laughs> you know, we, and a very handsome man. Oh, yeah. Travis <laughs> is, yeah, he's pretty good. He's easy on the eyes. <laughs> and then you have... Forbidden. Then I had the Sony thing. We sort of got a green light. And then the pandemic hit. And um, the people who had been so gung-ho about it um, scattered. Yeah, we're now back out on the block again. Looking for a home. And then uh, Al Roker's, I didn't even know he had an entertainment arm. Frankly, I had no idea. My girlfriends were like, well, didn't you ever see the... The Holly Robinson Pete stuff on. I'm like, no, I don't watch Hallmark. <laughs> so, because um, you know, back then black people didn't have Christmas on Hallmark. You know, no brown people and black people did not have Christmas on Hallmark or Lifetime. So why would I watch that? Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, that's hey, it's it, real. It is what it, it is. What it is. You know. So, but now things have changed, which is awesome. Supposedly they're in talks with with Hallmark. I'm not. You know, we're still waiting to see what is really going on. But if that is the case, I'm I'm pretty pretty excited and all that. So we'll see hopefully soon what we can talk about is going to happen. So can we talk a little bit about legacy? Mm. I know that you th- you still think about, you know, you're still surprised people buy your books, but <laughs> I am. I am. We're not. But you know, I'm not they're going to throw tomatoes at me this time, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm really curious. I'm curious about a couple of things. I'm curious about I, one of the questions that Jen and I, we've sort of been dancing around this, like, what's the question, the really, like, the best yeah. question to ask? So we have a few. Okay. The first, the one that sort of came to me this week is, when did you know you could do this thing? When did you feel like, I'm a writer. I can do it. This is my, I feel good about it. <laughs> After I survived the first deadline. Okay. Okay. 14 pages of revision. <laughs> yeah, white out and tape. <laughs> that they wanted in 35 days. I know what the hell I was doing. Um, but I did it. Hubby did all the cooking. He did all the, you know, grabbing the kids from school. He did all of the, the mom stuff. Fed me. And after that first book. And then when I saw it in the stores. Mm. One of the best things about that first book was that some of my elementary school teachers were still alive. And they were at those first, you know, signings when I did signings in Detroit. And they just wept. They just wept. Because, you know, my mom always told me, my my mama always said, you know, you're going to be somebody special. And the teachers dealt with me that way. Um, They put me on a stage in the fourth grade, and I've been on stage ever since. You know, never, never met a microphone I did not like, you know. But the idea that they were there to see my success uh, meant a lot. So I don't know, you know, legacy, girl, I don't know. You know, I, I think your legacy should be written by somebody else, not yourself. I think the readers could probably tell you what the books mean to them more than, mm-hmm. than I can. Um, I just like the idea of, of writing it and elevating our history and poking holes in the stereotypes like you would do with a pen and a balloon. And always, always portraying the race in a positive way. So, I don't know. Is that a legacy? <laughs> yes, that a, I think so. You know, um, and standing on the shoulders of, of the actual historians who, you know, are actual historians and not kitchen table historians like me. <laughs> I, I owe a lot of people a lot. 
from where I am today. I don't think there's ever been a time, Bev, when you and I have talked or when I've heard you speak where you haven't named the names of the people who have been a part of it. Well, you know, it's so important because, you know, I didn't just show up and show out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this was, I've been a project all my life, you know. Mm -hmm. My mother pouring stuff into me, my dad pouring stuff into me, my aunts who taught me style, wit, and grace uh, pouring stuff into me, my teachers, um, people in my neighborhood my church, my siblings, we all just don't start out as the sun, you know, S-U-N. Got to wait for the earth to cool and all of that kind of stuff. So when you think about your, like your, your body of work, Mm -hmm. what do you think of as being like the hallmarks of a Beverly Jenkins novel? Entertainment, education, heroines who know who they are, and the men who love them madly. I like the banter. I like that they all have the three gifts that I've talked about with Dorothy Sterling and the sense that they all work. They all have a commitment to community, and they all, in different ways, push the envelope on gender and race. And they're fun. Yeah. You know, um, they're inspiring to many people. They're uplifting. My stories center dark-skinned Black women in ways that have never been centered before. I'm just a little Black girl from the east side of Detroit trying to write a story that, you know, <laughs> that I can be proud of and that those who read it can be proud of. Do you feel like there was a book that turned the tide for you in terms of readership? You know, I think my books are being discovered every day, which is yep. an amazing kind of thing. Uh, Indigo, of course, and everybody talks about Indigo. And then we had a whole group of people with the with the Blessing series. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole different group of folks. And then the YA, because there's nothing for young women that's historical that way. And in fact, I got lots of letters. Well, that's why I had to add an extra chapter when we did the, the republishing. The girls wanted to know, did they get married? <laughs> sure. So I added the weddings. Oh, my gosh. What a gift. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of each book. You know, and, and I got a lot of letters from the moms that were saying she wanted her daughters or daughter, you know, however many, to know that this is how they should be treated by a young man. Um, old school. I mean, so, so okay, so we got milestones. We got Nighttime, which is first. And then we've got the YA. And then we've got uh, Edge of Midnight because... That was my first contemporary. And then from that very, very awful <laughs> manuscript <laughs> to my first um, romantic suspense to the blessing. So what is that? Four or five different yeah. mm-hmm. milestones. So we talked a little bit about your covers. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I have to ask about Nighthawk because it's, uh, it's hot. I mean, so you had, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm a simple woman. <laughs> Hey, I'm with you. And I don't know the the order, right? Because I my brain is full. Nighthawk is, I mean, obviously he's so like handsome, but it's not a clinch cover. Nope. Right? So is that something you asked for, or is that something where they gifted you this present? Tom did that on his own. Okay. Okay. He sent it to me, and I, you know, I told the story. I was on deadline. And I booted up the laptop, <laughs> and that was the first thing I saw. Okay. And it was just the picture. It didn't have any of the printing on it. There's no letters. Just that image. Just this very hot guy. <laughs> and I went, oh, hell, that'll wake a sister up, you know? Yes, please. <laughs> yes, more please. And then I put him on the, because I was like, okay, I, the ladies got to see this. So I put it on a Facebook page, and they went insane. (laughs) And I told them around noon, I said, okay, I'm taking him down now so he can get a towel from y'all slobbering all over him and licking him everywhere and all of that, right? So then I got a request, a Facebook friend request from him. So I don't remember his name now. Oh, the model. Yeah. It's like you said, my head's full, just like yours is full. But yeah. 
No, that was, you know, that was Tom's gift. Tom Tom knew. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and and it's, you know, and that whole thing with, with, with Preacher is so interesting because if you read his introduction to his character in, in Jesse Rose, he's very underwhelming. (laughs) Very underwhelming. He just wasn't ready yet. I know. And, you know, and the women were like, Preacher, Preacher, Preacher. And some of my girlfriends were like, why in the hell do they want a book with him? But isn't that amazing? Romance readers, they just, they know. They know. We know. So I had to give him a makeover <laughs> in order to make him, you know, Jenkins worthy or whatever. But <laughs> I always, that always tickles me because, you know, he was not, he was just a bounty hunter. He wasn't even. Listen, romance, just a bounty hunter. Come on. I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Well, and that's it. It's interesting because I've, and that was, okay, let me look because I'm going to look here. 2010 or 2011. Okay. 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 So, I mean, and that's the thing to me, it feels like, but he really is like the star of that book. Is, he is you know the what star I mean? of that book. Right? Yeah, he's yeah, such, yeah. A, such a fascinating character. Yeah, he's the star of that book. And then Maggie, I met the real Maggie. Um, I was in Omaha, Nebraska for a book signing and this young woman came up to me and she was in tears. Mm-hmm. She was native and black. And she said, nobody's writing for me, but me, nobody's writing for her, but me. Mm-hmm. And we really, really had a, a nice bonding kind of moment. This was before I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So when we decided to do um, preacher's book, I named the character Maggie. That was her name, Maggie Chandler Smith. And um, gave Maggie, the real Maggie's ethnicity. So um, she does exist. Somebody told me, they said, well, Miss Bev, you know, all your characters really existed in life sometime. I'm like, okay, that's kind of scary. (laughs) But Maggie does exist. She's, She's in Nebraska. Wow, what a gift, Bev. Wow. Well, this is fabulous. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sarah, I love listening to Beverly Jenkins talk. I mean, I could listen to her <laughs> all day, every day. She's fascinating. I, and I've been lucky enough to interview her when Wild Rain came out. Um, I did a YouTube interview with her that for Love Sweet Arrow. So, you know, I have had the pleasure of talking to Miss Bev you know, several times, but I still think hearing someone's like longitudinal story, right? Like, you know, the focus is different when it's like, oh, you've got a new book out. I think it's worth listening to Bev's interviews on the Black Romance podcast. Yes. As well. We'll put links to those in show notes. Over there, you'll get a different kind of history from from Bev and I think the two together will be really interesting if you're Beverly Jenkins fans like we are. You know, one thing we should say is that she in fact does have a new book coming out. This month Bev is returning to romantic suspense. Yeah. And she has a book out with Montlake called Rare Danger, which uh, listen to this. A librarian's quiet life becomes a page turner of adventure, romance and murder. Do, do, do. <laughs> also, know. now you know that uh, all that re- librarian stuff will be yeah. properly sourced from her own life. I mean, Rebecca Romney is going to love this. For Jasmine Ware, curating books for an exclusive clientele is her passion until an old friend, a dealer of rare books, goes missing and his partner Woo! is murdered. <laughs> you know, I really love Miss um, Bev's uh, romantic suspense. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really cool to see her returning to this. To have an author still be, like, experimenting. You know, she's written YA. She writes romance. She writes historical. She's returning to romantic suspense. I love that there's, I don't, I think it's, like, a real model for, like, you can keep doing whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. What's amazing to me as a writer is we all kind of have quiet stories in our head that we think, oh, maybe someday I'll write that book. Yeah. But it seems to me like Bev has just an endless supply of them. And I I don't feel like that with myself. <laughs> I always sort of know what the next couple are, but yeah. you know, but I feel like she's she's got romantic suspense, she's got the blessing series, she's got all of her glorious historicals. She I feel like someday there's gonna be some epic sci-fi or fantasy something from her. Yeah. And I just 
every time I talk to her, I just feel really blessed to know her. And the other thing I really like from a from an author perspective, Bev always reminds me how valuable readers are. And what I mean by that is, I mean, obviously, I love, I love the people who read my books, and I feel really honored to have them all read my books. But what Beverly reminds me of every time we talk is how important, how the relationship between author and reader fills us both. Yeah. And that is something that you can lose sight of when you're kind of deep in the manuscript, like in the weeds. You forget sometimes that the well is filled by readers in the end. And that is always a good a good reminder. And I really value my friendship with Beverly because every time we talk, that's that's a piece that always comes through. And, and we heard her describe how different it was back in the day. Right. Where you're like sending actual newsletters. We're not just emails or. Yeah. In print. <laughs> right. And I mean, and I think that's a part of it, too. One of the things I I really have loved about like the trailblazers. I mean, obviously just hearing people's stories, but also like hearing what it was like. I mean, you know, like, OK, this is like everybody, you and me, we have seen Romancing the Stone And at the beginning of this movie, she's like a romance novelist in the 80s. She's like packing up her manuscript is, you know, is a bunch of papers in a box. We can't talk about it, but there's another Trailblazer episode where we fully forgot that like, or I fully forgot that the world, the technology did not exist. Yes. Back in the day. And that's, I think, part of what's cool about that is anytime you hear a story where people talk about like how the technology has changed, it just goes to show you how fast the world moves, but also, I, I mean, I don't know. So I like love, I really love those stories too, right? Like thinking about what it was like to curate a group of read, a group of passionate readers who are your devoted fans and doing it without social media. Yeah. Um, and so that's the thing that I also found. Yeah. Like that reader connection with Bev is so strong. So. We're avowed stands of Beverly Jenkins here at Faded Mates. It will surprise none of you. Um, so we are really, it's just one more week of feeling incredibly lucky yes. to be able to do this thing that we love so much. You've been listening to Faded Mates. You can find us at fadedmates.net, uh, where you'll find all sorts of links to all sorts of fun things like gear and stickers um, and music and other things. You can find us on Twitter at Faded Mates or on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Or just, you know, you can find me at sarahmcclain.net, Jen at jenreadsromance.com, where you can learn more about getting her to edit your next great masterpiece. And we are produced by Eric Mortensen. Thanks so much for listening. 